Welcome to Film Fam, inspired by true events. I'm Heather, married to Brian, mother to Zoe. Hi, I'm Brian, married to Heather, father to Zoe. Hi, I'm Zoe, daughter to those people. We're the Greys and we're your Film Fam. Those people? Okay, so that's your mother, Heather. I'm your father, Brian. Yeah, those guys, them again, my folks, my old men and women. Yeah, we're folks. <laughs> we I'm are okay the with folks. <laughs> And this is Film Fam, inspired by true events. Yeah, it is. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know if anyone said it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I said, said it in the beginning, but thank you, Just Zoe. to reiterate. Let's reiterate it. Okay, so to sum up, this is Film Fam, inspired by true events. I'm Brian, married to Heather, father to Zoe. Today, we are talking about the 1922 silent film Nosferatu. Directed by F.W. Murnau, it stars Max Schreck as Count Orlock. Get out of my swamp. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the face you just gave me. I could tell you thought I was going to make a much funnier joke than that. <laughs> you thought I was going to make a joke about Shadow of the Vampire, where in that movie, Max Schreck is actually a vampire. You thought yes. I was going to go there, but I went to Schreck. <laughs> Did Christopher Walken once play a character named Max Shrek on something? You could. You're, the, you're the, the, I don't the person think. who knows everything, um, Zoe. About Christopher Walken? No, about, about the, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes type stuff. This sounds like a behind oh, the scenes type stuff. I, did, I don't think I did so. no behind the scenes facts about this movie because I did a bunch of other stuff Okay, about well, it. I guess I'll tell them. So oh you're not going to know. And it was made in the 1920s. I don't think there was a behind the scene. They didn't have enough money to do anything behind the there was scene. just the front of the scene. There's just the scene. Yeah, just the front scene. If you want to know what happened behind the scene, go yes. watch Shadow of a Vampire. Okay, I looked it up. I looked it up. In Ooh. Batman Returns, uh, Christopher, Christopher Walken Walk. plays a bad guy named Max Shrek. Wow, what? that feels kind of rude to actual Actually actor Max, Max Shrek. Shrek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what did he do? He was a... Powerful, sociopathic, and ruthless business mogul who serves as the boss, uh, the boss of Catwoman, of Selena Kyle. He's the one that, that pushes her out the window. Yeah, yeah, but how, did, how do they spell oh, Shrek? Oh, I love that They spell movie. it S-H-R-E-C-K. S-C-H-R-E-C-K. Okay, so they get rid of one of the And C's. just so we're clear, Shrek <laughs> from movies such as Shrek has neither a and, C and sh- nor the other C. Shrek too. Neither the scene nor the other scene. <laughs> so, the true events that inspired this 1922 vampire film um, are pretty wild. So we are going to have a wild talk tonight. It's night here. It's night. And oh, yeah. it, I hope you're listening to this at night um, because then, you know, it's the spookiest time of the day. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's That's quarter- our shirt. That's the shirt. Night. Night. It's the, the spookiest time of the, of the day. day. For those of you who don't know, Nosferatu is basically the movie Dracula, but um, they didn't want to get sued by Bram Stoker's wife, Florence, so they changed things up a bit. Not enough, though, because they did get sued. But 
they they changed it up. It's in Germany instead of England. They collapsed some characters or combined them into one. They changed the names and stuff. But, but mostly if, it's the exact plot. If you're familiar if Dracula. or watched any of the movies, right. it's like a real estate agent gets sent to Transylvania to talk to a a vampire that he doesn't know is a vampire because the vampire wants to buy some real estate mm. in, in Dracula. It's in London or England. And in Nosferatu, it's in some town in Germany. And uh, then they have to defeat the vampire. That's the basic. But the the thing that makes it so obvious that it's a ripoff is that it's, again, it's about a real estate agent. Just the whole plot. <laughs> yeah, the whole plot. So Nosferatu was produced in 1922 by Prana Films. That's the production company. It's a was a again. This is in the silent era. It was a German studio created by occultist and artist Albin Grau. Ooh. Ooh. I know that's right. Uh, the studio was named after the Buddhist concept prana, which is Sanskrit for life force or vital principle. And this kind of brings us back to our Moana episode in the concept of mana. Because right, it's the same right, kind right. of thing. It's prana. And the primary goal of prana films was to produce occult and supernatural films. And Nosferatu was going to be their first film, ended up being their only film. <laughs> mm. So it was their first. It was their first and their only because they were sued by Florence Stoker for ripping off Dracula. And the, that lawsuit not only bankrupted prana studios, so they couldn't make any more, but the lawsuit also stipulated that um, all the copies of Nosferatu be burned. She wanted them to be burned so that like they couldn't make money off of it and they couldn't seem like they they created something that was really a ripoff of her husband's material. Um, but they did not all get burned, thankfully. Some survived, and Nosferatu is now considered a classic of not Germanist, German expressionist cinema, a classic horror film, and actually essential to the mythology of vampires that we know today. In our, I don't know, third episode of Frankenstein, we talked about the vampire, the vampire yeah. written by Dr. John Polidori. Yeah. Um, Zoe, do you want to describe what vampire tropes Polidori was inventing or laying down? Do you know about yeah, any of well, that? Yeah, I mean, because he, he kind of translated the vampire as like a more almost romantic figure, not as in he has romance within the story, but kind of the uh, ideals of the romantic period, because that's when Polidori was writing and sort of based him on Byron. So this kind of dark-haired, um, devilish... I mean, in the actual book of Dracula, he has white hair, but it's the same kind of like, I'm a refined gentleman, a gentleman who is a monster, right. instead romantic, of... Right, who could yeah. possibly seem like he might do real estate things, right. instead of like... I am a actual monster out in the forest, like a werewolf or something. Right, like or even like Frankenstein's monster, he wouldn't like be buying real estate. Right. Like <laughs> most monsters don't, like the mummy right, doesn't like buy a, real estate. A, a genteel vampire right. uh, monster who is kind of um, a little tortured, you know, that whole thing. Right. Now I want to see a movie with a mummy buying real estate. <laughs> And I will say it actually is kind of romantic slash erotic the ways in, because it's, it, it you know, it's kind of like, I'm going to prey upon beautiful young women. It is. It's a more sexual right. vampire rather than being a monster. You know, I'm just going to like come into your village at night and eat everyone. It's, right. It's, yeah. Bram Stoker, he worked from those stories, the more urbane, aristocratic, sexy vampire. And we do see 
um, a lot of stories where that's the kind of vampire, that's the the, the vampire character. Um, but Nosferatu, which the story is actually going back to the old folklore, like the Slavic monster. And mm-hmm. all the movies that you've seen, if you've seen vampire movies um, or other media, comics, whatever, with like a bald vampire who's really animalistic, not sexy aristocrat, but like a freaky monster like 30 Days of Night or The Master and Buffy. I was going to say. Or Salem's Lot or like the old vampire Peter in What We Do in Shadows, mm-hmm. <laughs> the old one. Like that vampire comes from Nosferatu. Count Orlock is where they're drawing from. And Count Orlock was also the first vampire to be killed by sunlight. Okay. They made that up. They created that. Yeah. That kind of vampire was coming from the Nosferatu line. I want to give a shout out to not necessarily like it's hard to say uh, that something's a better movie when it's like a direct remake homage, but the remake of Nosferatu um, by, you know who I'm talking Werner about. Herzog. By Werner Herzog. Is incredible. Yeah, it's beautiful. It, it's so it a hundred percent captures the feeling of the original, but just with like updated, you know, like it's in color and mm-hmm. it's you know it's not silent and it, but it uses everything that it has. I think to really, really make a good installation in the genre. So I would yeah recommend Both if you of them. right if you liked this. It's not just the same movie, but it is really, really yeah worth. Yeah, seeing. I think it's very visceral. So like where yeah. where um the Murnau 1922 Nosferatu is Almost in that like a fairy tale. Yeah, that that like German expressionist like everything's kind of distorted and exaggerated to get into I'll talk a little bit about German expressionism but the Werner Herzog one is like the dirt and the rats and the food like everything yeah. is so textured yeah, in there. You would expect a remake in modern day with our technology to lean into everything that the original didn't do or couldn't do uh, with the realism, the uh, right, the, the viscerality, and then probably, I, mean, I, I, I haven't seen it, but um, you would expect a more frenetic pace. You would expect uh, maybe less contrast in the, in the light versus dark, you know, doing a lot of the things that they didn't do in the original. To separate it. You didn't see it? No. Oh, maybe we watched it alone. <laughs> like most of the things we watch, we watched it. I know, I'm surprised. That's a rip. But <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't like just trying to appeal to contemporary audiences in some kind of mainstream way. I think it was really digging into its own yeah. artistic direction of the time that was still avant-garde. Yeah, because it's Werner Herzog. So it wasn't frenetic. Era. It was... Because he's, you know, like a, a very creeping pace. He's a more yeah. independent filmmaker, but it's not like uh, if Rob Zombie does his take on <laughs> no. uh, right. something. So to t- I want to talk about uh, German expressionism a little bit. So Dracula, the book published in 1897, Nosferatu comes out 25 years later, 1922. It's so weird to me that it's only 25 years later. Like yeah. 25 years ago for us, what, like Veronica Mars came out? <laughs> like, wow, that's yeah. that's the difference. You know, it's really not that long ago. And it was German expressionism was a movement 
in all medias of art at the time, but it didn't last for very long because Germany was kind of isolated after World War I. And then it kind of went away with the rise of Nazis. They didn't really like it. So I'll try to explain. What did they like? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I know specifically. Um, uh, cabarets? Jews? <laughs> oh, no. No, they not. didn't like those. Did they like the gays? No. Mm. Okay. Uh, they we're didn't like anything good. We're to say that because we're Jewish and gay. Yeah, they didn't like anything good. Cabaret people. <laughs> <laughs> so German expressionists wanted to use unrealistic and distorted sets, lighting, and makeup to expose with the sets and lighting and makeup to expose the inner psychology of what was happening, like Tim Burton. Okay. Tim Burton uses a lot of German expressionists. He's clearly influenced by them. So it's like trying to make the world look like the psychology of the movie rather than just it's like we're in New York and then the psychology is this. And I think a lot right. of filmmakers use that, but German expressionism is very very distorted in that. So they'll have doors that are off kilter and shadows that are like, you know, 10 stories high and things that, and like so much eye makeup, you know, they're really, (laughs) really going for it. And, um, goth. Right. Well, yeah. And they're, it's very artistic, can be very creepy. Uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a really good example of German expressionist style. And people who were influenced were Hitchcock, Werner Herzog, Ridley Scott, and Tim Burton. Those are like popular directors who who kind of do things in the, somewhat in a German expressionist or use tools from German expressionism. So it makes sense to me that Prana Films would want to use German expressionist style Nosferatu because Alban Grau, again, the occult, occultist producer, who was, was also the artistic director of the film, and he was trying to use the symbolism of the vampire to bring occult ideas to a wider audience. And I find this so interesting, and I hope I can explain to you guys, because I haven't explained it to you yet, been holding mm. back for the podcast, <laughs> um, how Nosferatu and Dracula are considered occult, like foundational occult movies and books. Today we see vampires as like a supernatural creature, but not necessarily an occult figure. Mm-hmm. But the occult is, for those of you who I will just define it a little bit. It's like magic or black magic or white magic or tarot cards, astrology, alchemy, spiritualism, which we talked about in our Ghostbusters episode. Um, Those things are considered occult or the occult. Um, A belief in the occult is like a belief that there's more in the world than you can easily see or know and that there is a secret or lost knowledge or practices that can connect people to greater things or dark and terrible things or some kind of powers, right? It's like there's a secret other world that's happening. Right. And occultists are trying to figure out how they can tap into that secret other lost practices, secret knowledge. All right. So is it fair to say that the occult is supernatural stuff that is not covered by a major religion? Yes. They not science or religion, but they might attach themselves to religion, say, and this. Okay. You know, or science, but also this. You know, they don't eschew science and religion, but they would say more. They would want to say, like, but actually, so for well, example, sure, I guess, I guess Kabbalah. Satanism or, would be right. a cult, but right. that clearly comes from Christianity. So right. It's, it's, it's not it, just it's right. separate from Christianity. But so, like, the Jewish. Um, 
or, you know, Kabbalah or Kabbalah. Kabbalah. I think it's Kabbalah. Um, it's kind of like we're going to see a code in these words. Right. And it tells us something different. That's a cult or mysticism. And a cult and mysticism are very interchangeable. Another example, Ghostbusters, the cards that are using to test for the ESP, the idea that people could have ESP powers and there's a way to figure it out and how to, how to use it, that's an occult idea. It's like, oh, there's there's extra special stuff in the world, maybe good, maybe bad, and we're going to try to figure out how to access it. Right, with science. Right, but not real science, <laughs> pseudoscience. Um, and then the idea that there are ghosts is a cult. Um, in Ghostbusters, again, all the books that Ray from Ghostbusters is conferring with about the ghosts, those are a cult. And the building, the idea that someone would build a whole building to reach, to open a dimension or whatever he's doing, that's an occult idea right. because it's like, oh, I can do stuff with ar architecture to create a thing. That's sure. a cult. I mean, the girders had cores of pure selenium. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, if I, if I, there's a secret weird way I built my building because it does. So it's all this like, extra special knowledge that most people don't have and it can do extra special powerful things. Okay. Okay, so that's and I guess you kind of get it like but I'm just going to say a little bit more Indiana Jones also has occult themes. Indy doesn't believe in it. He thinks it's a bunch of mumbo jumbo but or is that Star Wars? To it a might be religion hooey. because <laughs> that's supposed to be the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Right? Well, well, I guess maybe the second movie is more No, cool. even the first movie because the Ark of the Covenant isn't supposed to the idea that an ancient, religious, powerful artifact can be used as a weapon is an occult idea because okay. they're going to imbue ancient things with powers beyond knowing. Okay. The Bible doesn't say if you right. take the ark around, you can use it as a- <laughs> Melt cities. Melt people's faces off. I mean, there might there might be something in the Talmud. They, they had some quote in the movie that it seemed like they were reading from some kind of religious text. I don't remember the well, line. But it's a very occult idea to- be like, there's a secret special power in items right. or in nature or in this place or in a person like ESP that can be located and used. That is kind of the crux of what the occult is. So now I'll get into how um, Nosferatu is, has all these ideas that he's trying to show people. And I mean, I just, I think it's clear that people really like to believe in the occult. Like humans yeah. like to believe it's in the fun. occult. Yeah. Right. It's thrill. They, they like to be thrilled or entertained by the idea. People don't even think that they believe in the occult kind of do with like even, I don't know, astrology or yeah. crystals. Or, or having a lucky like rabbit's foot. Right. right. And like Rudolf Steiner, who created Waldorf schools, he was into theosophy, which is Ooh. also a myst like mysticism in the occult. Right. And that's like the whole school has some of that in it. Um, so there's just a lot of regular folks that kind of believe in something occultish. And then there are hardcore occults, occultists who are like, this is what I do. This is what I'm into. This is what my life is about. I super believe in these things. Right. Right. So Albin Grau was in like a, an occult society and he was in a group and he believed in this stuff. And so much he's like, I'm going to create a whole film studio and we're going to make movies that teach people about the occult. Um, so, hold on. So first, the first idea that's pretty basic in Nosferatu is that just the idea that there are vampires. Like there, right. are, there are these supernatural immortal creatures and they could be real. And just the idea that there could be like a secret hidden world of people 
who are vampires is like, that's already an occult idea. Right. Okay. So then, well, Grau explicitly said that he met somebody in World War I. He was in the war and he was stationed in Serbia and he met a farmer who told him, my father was a vampire. Mm. And his the farmer's father died and was buried without receiving the holy sacraments. And then months later, people started dying in the village. And then they saw the dead father like walking off and walking in the distance. So the villagers exhumed the coffin and nobody was in it. So then they went back and got more people in the morning and they came back to the coffin and opened it again. And he was in it, but he looked really um, like full of life, just like he was sleeping. But his face was like ruddy. He didn't look like he'd been dead for a month. But his two, like his front teeth were really long, like a vampire. Absolutely incredible. So they staked him in the heart and then they burned his body that is fantastic the only way you can be sure that is the story that Grau told people right you know he might have made that up to like publish promote his movie about vampires oh could be could be could be (laughs) could be um so yeah the basic idea that there might be supernatural creatures running around somewhere is an occult idea and also the idea that these creatures are able to use blood to stay immortal. The quest for immortality is really big with the cultists. And also the power and purity of blood is kind I mean, of big. Sure. I mean, that even, that's like the Holy Grail, too. Yes. But, and, you right. know, whatever right. Avril Lavigne got on. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so Grau was a member of Fratern- Fraternitas Saturni. Okay, that's... Pretty and straightforward. he had a magical name, Master Pacitus. Okay. And this group he was in was like a whole hodgepodge of occult ideas of like all, they just pulled from every different kind of occult ideas, which is what most occult groups are. Not Wiccans per se, but a lot of occult groups are like, we believe in this and this and this and we're pulling from everything. Right, let's try a bunch of things, see what sticks. Right. In Nosferatu, there's one scene where the John Har- Jonathan Harker of this movie, whose name is Thomas Hutter, um, he's given a job by his boss, Herr Nock, who is actually the Renfield-type character, to go to Trans- Transylvania, set up a real estate deal with Count Dracula slash Count Orlock. And this is the most occult movie about a realtor of all time. And I'm stealing that joke from Zoe when we were watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I just laughed at it before you told them that it was my joke, so now I look like a jerk for laughing at my own joke. <laughs> anyway, well, I always laugh at my own jokes. I mean, they're funny. Anyway, Hairnock has a contract from Count Orlock, the vampire, that's actually just fully written in occult symbols. Right. If you look at the piece of paper that, that Renfield then they show it. is He right. like holds it up and they sh- the camera looks just, at it. It's like runes. It's, yeah. it's not in any actual alphabet. It's, I don't think. Right. And it's not it, occult it's symbols really, just made up by right, an art like designer. Actual, it's, yeah, it's actual like Enochian and Hermetic and other occult symbols in real occult books from... Which is you wild. Know. They were like, we're going to slip our propaganda in here 100%. They're not right. concerned about just copying out Enochian symbols. <laughs> they hadn't symbols. seen Army of Darkness yet. They just didn't yeah. know. Um, so Herr Nock, he can totally read it, which is a clue that Nock is in on it. Although you might not understand that the first time you're watching, you're like, those are weird symbols, and this guy seems to be reading it, but you might not think that. But like, right. it's like 
how can he read this weird magic writing? Because he is in on the thing with the vampire. Another clue might be that he has fucking crazy eyes and is like laughing maniacally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another context clue perhaps. Right. But. And so so Nock has kind of been opened up to the secret truths of the supernatural creature in the supernatural occult world as shown by him being able to read this weird document full of all these occult symbols. So Thomas Hutter heads to Transfl- Transylvania and he meets some locals and they tell him like, don't go up to the castle. There's a vampire. And he's like, pish posh, you <laughs> silly backwards people. And, but you know, we know that they're right. Cause we know it's a vampire movie. Right. So right. this is another example of an occult idea, popular idea in the occult that ancient or older people or people who are more like old timey, mm-hmm. um, they know old truths that modern society has forgotten. And so if you go amongst people who have like a more, I don't want to say primitive, because that's a bad word, but a more, a, a society that is more connected to old ways or and folk even ways. Like pastoral societies. Right. A society that's more connected to the old folk ways. Right. They're going to know secret truths that modern society has inconveniently forgotten about yeah. magic. <laughs> so that is an, and they're in this movie, they're Right. There is a vampire up there. And I wonder if that's kind of uh, one of the progenitors of that whole trope in horror movies now of like, I stop, I see an old man at the gas station who's like, you better not go up there, kids, or you're going to die. And they're like, yeah. haha, you're just a crazy old man. <laughs> right. I'm going to fucking go up there. And die. Oh, no, I die. <laughs> um, so the locals, they give Thomas a little book about vampires. And they're like, read this book. And and he's like, he laughs. I think I'll read it later <laughs> and not really apply it to my situation right he looks at it a little bit and he just kind of laughs about it and this book is another example here's a book of secret knowledge mm-hmm. with rules about how with the secret rules of this occult thing we're telling you about how the vampire lives how he feeds what can harm him and that's another big thing in the occult is like we'll find a book that has mm-hmm. the secret we'll, the f- we'll go and we'll find an old book and it'll have the secrets to it or we'll write the book because we did some old research and we we looked at the code in this book and we made up the rules, you know, or it that's came an to occult me thing. Or a wild dream and I right. had to write it down in a book. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a I'll big one. I'll get to that later. That's actually in this too. So then Thomas, he goes to the castle. He meets Count Orlock, who's like a very ancient creature, real ugly, oh, rat-like. kind of sweet. But I wrote here in my notes, also sad and lonely. I think oh. he has like, like the eyes and expressions of a child that really endears yeah, me to him. A, like a bald rat child. A lonely wanna, child. I want to like rat. hug him. Yeah, I know. I kind of want to hug him. <laughs> Especially the, ver- well, actually both versions. Both versions. It's just, it's something about being like bald with big ears. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's pretty spooky. Um, In the castle, in Orlock, Ca- Count Orlock's domain, the German expressionism is very strong. The mm. shadows, the architecture, the way pe- things move are is, yeah, it's very surreal. And in this, Thomas has now crossed over into a more magical realm because the place is even more because it's it, the place is showing the psychology of the narrative. And in the castle, it's pretty fucked up, right? Right. Um, so this is kind of to show how people who truly start to believe in the occult might feel or imagine they might feel when they finally experience proof that this hidden world really exists. Right. You feel right. like, am I crazy? I feel crazy that this thing, oh my God, this thing is really real, right? Because Thomas 
Hutter starts being like fainting all over the place and like right. like falling down the stairs with shock, right? When he finally sees I'd what's like going on. I like to think on. I would take it with a little more grace. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like he can't go through it alone. He it's he can't handle right. it. The the truth of this, and it's really reflected in the the lighting and the architecture. So at the same time, Thomas's wife Nina, who is like a Lucy and Mina if they're put together, right? Um is having nightmares about Thomas. And and it's like what he is going through is so powerful that the person who loves him can feel it all the way in another country. Right. So this is occult ESP and dream magic. Um. So this is a good example. A lot of people are like, I had a special, like have special dreams or say they have special feelings about like powerful events, right? right. Like, Oh, uh, I had a dream that my grandfather spoke to me and then I woke up and I found out he had died. People say things like that. Right. Or I was washing the dishes and I broke a dish and then I got a text that my daughter was in a car accident. Sorry. I hope that. Anyways. <gasps> I wasn't going to think about. My that. son was in a car accident. My sister was in a car accident. Okay. Um. Anyways. <laughs> and so I've heard people say things like that and that belief. So lots of people say things like that. But if you really were an occultist and you believed that like if my if I had a powerful enough feeling I could send it to somebody, then you might be like, well, I'm going to fucking learn how to do that. If you really thought it could right. happen, you know, if you didn't think it could happen just by, it was just by chance. But if you're like, oh, I could learn to manipulate this and actually use it. Right. I mean, you can, you can actually learn to lucid dream. So there's some things that it's like, uh, uh, at that time had not necessarily scientifically been proven one way or the other. It's like, okay, well, what what about this can I control? Especially if it related to dream magic. It's like yeah. if, well, I can kind of make myself control my dreams sometimes. So I'm going to try to. So why can't I do that with like sending messages? Right. I'm going to send a message to my girlfriend from a distance. Yeah. Right. So so Orlock, the vampire, he comes to town, to Germany, and he starts killing people. And folks think it's a plague because he travels with like way too many rats and which people also associate with a plague. And Hernock is going crazy all over town because the master's there. He's also psychically connected to the master. And so- Because he he loves him so much and the master doesn't (laughs) care about him back. And Thomas is back and he's all fucked up about what he witnessed. And Nina is having psychic feelings that bad things are happening more than just a plague. Like she feels like there's something else going on. And she finds Thomas's little book on vampires and reads it and learns that like if a true hearted woman can kill the vampire by offering herself to him and keeping him out until sunrise so the sun will kill him. Right. It's like he has to like go back into his coffin uh, of of his ground that he brought here all the way from Transylvania because right. um, he has to sleep in specific earth. So if you like make him feed on you all the way until the sun rises and he's not back in his coffin. Then. Well, and the sun can kill him. Right. right. Well, and the sun, starting yeah. with this movie, right. right? Right. So she, um, so in this part of the book is different, uh, more different from Bram Stoker's Dracula, who introduces another very occult figure, Van Helsing. Yes. There's so, a Van Helsing type figure in the movie, but it's not It's as, a much smaller role. Right. So Van Helsing is like a magician, occultist, he has and he has and truly believes in secret knowledge mm-hmm. about vampires in this case. He has books about it. He has 
the paraphernalia you need. He has a cross. He has garlic, wooden stakes. He knows things like that Jack has to sleep in dirt from his own country. Um, He knows when he sees the puncture wounds, he knows that that's from a vampire. And he knows that Dracula can make other vampires. So he's like the occultist coming in saying, oh, like he's, you know, like the Ghostbusters coming in saying, I have this information. I can share this with you and teach you. And there is, he, with this occult information, he initiates all these men who want to marry Lucy with Westendra. Um, She has a Jonathan or Dr. John Seward. There's also an American named Quincy Morris and her actual guy. She like becomes her fiance, Arthur Holmwood. And then also Jonathan Harker who came back from Transylvania. Mm -hmm. And with Van Helsing, he initiates them into all this esoteric occult knowledge and they have to believe him. They, I mean, they don't have really a lot of proof, right? They just kind of have to say, "I'm look, you're, you're telling me something, and there is weird stuff going on, and now I'm going to believe what you're saying, even though I don't believe in vampires, right? But so he, the guy who made this movie was like, do that. If, <laughs> if a magician comes around telling you stuff, believe him. <laughs> yeah, and, and so they go as a group to defeat Dracula, to try to save Lucy's immortal soul, save Mina, and... That's why in a lot of occult circles, I've learned Dracula is considered a foundational text because of how Van Helsing initiates these men into occult esoteric knowledge and and then they actually put it into practice. Very cool. That's awesome. And so a lot of, and that's one of the reasons why Alban Grau chose Dracula to make his movie Nosferatu is because it's considered like a really good example, but he left this part. He didn't use this part because then they're going to get sued, right? Oh, and they had to try right. to change they everything. Just do it verbatim, right? But they still got sued. But he has a character instead called Professor Bulwer, who is a physician who is teaching science to college students, and he's talking about carnivorous plants and maybe like carnivorous bacteria. He's kind of trying to tell them some stuff, but he's also dressed in like wizard robes. <laughs> <laughs> I put on my robe and wizard hat. Yeah. So he doesn't play as big a role as Van Helsing in the final film that we've seen, but there is a kind of character, the Van Helsing type character. He, he doesn't, it's just this book that Lucy gets the book and she reads it. I mean, not Lucy. Nina, Nina. gets <laughs> Nina gets the book from her husband and she reads it and she figures out what she's going to do. And this... We're now set feminism. <laughs> um, so Nina reads the book um, that Thomas brings back. She decides to handle it herself. And that, like, her purity her and her blood will trap Count Orlock until sunrise. And, of course, occultists are really into the idea that, like, your willpower and your blood or other things you can do with your body can create powerful magic. Yeah, I mean, will is the thing. The intent of it. Right. And right. I've I've done, I've um, looked into Wicca in the past, um, you know, more deeply. And I think this idea of like will, like I will it to be so, and that's how you manifest things. Right. Um, I've heard that um, uh, the, the whole thing with uh, a cross repelling vampires, like if if an atheist picks up a cross it wouldn't work. It's not about the cross. It's about the faith. The and belief, belief in it, right. Oh, and shit. the will. So Jewish person. I have a whole vampire hunting kit <laughs> and I've collected some like a rosary and like a crucifix 
Is it not gonna work? Well, but I it believe will, it's gonna believe work, even work. though I don't believe in a Catholic God. I, I'm not. Sh- I. It was a little unclear. Is Maybe it the, my uh, uh, is star it the David belief, would do something. Is it the absolute belief in God, or is it the absolute belief that the cross will repel the vampire? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But if if it's the latter, uh, you could get creative. It doesn't have to be a cross. It could be anything. It could be like a croissant. <laughs> and then they just like grab the croissant and eat it. And throw up a lot because they're not supposed to eat things <laughs> other than blood. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Nina's like, I'm going to use my willpower. It is, I'm going to handle this. I got this book. I understand. I'm going to draw him and keep him here until the, until I can kill him because he's like a plague in our whole city and my husband is like a little crazy now. So that's what she does. And, and it works. Yeah, and this, so I hope I've, been able to show you why, how this is considered an occult film because yeah. all these occult ideas that are really normalized now. And right, it doesn't, I wouldn't look at it and be like, that's occult propaganda, but it is. Yeah, we, it's because the propaganda works. It, the propaganda works. <laughs> it is in so many movies about the any supernatural thing. Mm-hmm. It's, and a lot of like sci-fi too, in Renal some ways. Was like, I want you to know these things. And we're like, we know them now. Like we <laughs> no, but for real, like we we digested a lot of that stuff and incorporated it into like popular culture. It is, it is. But it wasn't Murnau. It was Albin Grau who wanted. Right. Murnau is like, I'm just a great filmmaker, and um, <laughs> I will make you a great film. So, um, but I do want to talk about Murnau a little bit. Um, I thought I wrote some notes on here. Oh yeah. As I said, Murnau is a great filmmaker, and you should watch Nosferatu, too, but you should also watch Sunrise, which is a oh, yeah, beautiful movie, considered one of the best films of all time. I watched it recently, and I would put it on a short list of the best films I've ever seen. It's also a silent film. It's the best silent film I've ever seen. And Murnau, or Murnau, sorry, Murnau was openly homosexual. Yeah, he's not French, he's German, so who would be uh, Murnau? He's openly homosexual, which in the 1920s was a pretty brave thing to be. He came to the U.S. to make films, and he hoped it would be safer for him here than in Germany. But he died pretty young, like in young is in his 50s, um, early 50s, in a car accident. And then this is like a little addendum that you should just know because of this podcast, and we're talking about the occult, is... Um, Maybe because he directed a very famous gothic horror occult film, his grave was disturbed and his skull was stolen. And people say that maybe it was being used in an occult rite because there are burned down candles left at the grave site. Oh, that's wow. crazy. So that's that's kind of what I want. Well, so, okay. Wait, that's what you want for your grave. You want to be buried and uh, then people go in and desecrate your grave and steal your no. skull. No, I want before I am buried for my skull to be removed from my corpse. Maybe that will even happen at the moment you die. Right. Well, no, because it needs to be in the correct hands, which are the hands of whomever's playing Hamlet at uh, (laughs) just the nearest theater. I don't need it to be, you know, some big hoity-toity theater. I just, you know, I think my my head's been used for a lot of good already, but I really want it to continue (laughs) to be used after my death for Shakespearean actors. who want to do local theater and handle a real skull. All right, Brian, that's on you. That's on me? <laughs> yeah, Make sure that people handle her skull. Find a good taxidermist or something. Taxidermist to, to uh, remove your skull. But this yeah. is this is a, oh, a PSA to any of our listeners that if that doesn't happen, I suppose you can desecrate my grave and take my skull. I'm editing this out. <laughs> 
So and we were at the Mooner Museum, and your skull seemed to match like the smallest twenty-two-year-old girl uh, skull there. Yorick like, could have been little. I think your skull should be used in a kids' production of Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> Messed like that up. That time that you won't cut this out. Like that time that you made kids touch raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> That's my shame. Uh, You're your my shame. Lick them all off. Okay. So I'm going to set Zoe up a little bit, even though she is going to go um, last, as she does, that in 1925, three years after Nosferatu came out, Albin Grau was at the WADA conference, an international meeting of occult leaders in Germany. Albin was there as a master in this occult group called Pan Sophia. Mm. Other attendees included Eugene Grosch, Master of the Danzig Lodge, Otto Grebharder, um, of something, <laughs> and uh, oh, of um, they were part of a Rosicrucian occult lodge called Collegium Pansophiasum, and also Alistair Crowley with his entourage of Leah Hersig, Dorothy Olson, and Norman Mudd. Of course this motherfucker has an entourage. <laughs> He's oh. really fucking Alistair did. Alistair Crowley. Yes. Well, you said with his entourage. I'm like, which one? Cause- yeah. <laughs> so there was a whole group um, gathering of occult leaders in Europe, and there was a big falling out that we don't have to get into, but if you want to look it up, you can look up, just Google Albin Grau, Alistair Crowley, and there'll be the whole story of the falling out between these German occultists and how Alistair Crowley was like, follow me, I'm the leader. And some of them were like, you're not our leader. Uh, I have no patience for that kind of drama and gossip. (laughs) (laughs) That occult drama is off the hook. All right, but first we're going to talk to Brian and the true, some true events from his mouth. Okay, yes, the true events from my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you mentioned uh, that you were setting Zoe up. Mm-hmm. For when she eventually talks, uh, you set me up too. Did I? You did, and you knew you were doing it. <laughs> oh, because there was some sneaking around. There that are I no didn't accidents. Because I was so happy that you were doing my thing for me, but you <laughs> slid in something for someone else also. Yeah, I'm a giver. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, I'm looking into the connection between vampires and plagues because plague is a very big part of the Nosferatu movie, uh, uh, but. As I do, I'm going back in time. Uh, uh, and I thought I would touch on, you know, where these legends come from. Um, because there is no real start. You know, I, I guess you could say that uh, uh, the, vamp- the vampire, vampire um, is the start of the suave, elegant vampire. You right, know? the and, Byronic vampire. Yeah, and they're... There is a place in history where where there's the start of avoiding the sun or drinking blood or or this or that or you know there are various stages where the legend of the vampire comes together, uh, but uh, it's thought that um, originally we're looking at Mesopotamia and the Persians uh, were one of the first civilizations thought to have tales of of these kinds of monsters, uh, uh, creatures attempting to drink blood. Uh, from men are depicted on excavated pottery shards from ancient Persia. Wait, can we get they're some they're drinking blood from men specifically? Yep. Drinking blood from men. 
are depicted on the pottery shards. Yep. I would like to see this. Okay. Here. Here's Ooh, a picture. Oh, wow. Nice. Wow, audience. That's I wish you could crazy. see this. No, I'm, I'm showing them the picture that they want to see right now. And it's awesome. <laughs> so good. It's a real picture. We're really looking at it. <laughs> Uh, okay, then in ancient Babylonia, uh, they had tales of the mythical Lilithu, synonymous with and giving rise to Lilith mm-hmm. in Hebrew, and her daughters, the Lilu. Um, and uh, Lilith was considered a demon and was often depicted as subsisting on the blood of babies. That's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, you totally can't subsist on the blood of babies. It's not it just nearly enough blood. It doesn't have the full amino acids that you need to... I just mean they're doing Lilith wrong. Don't be so mean to Lilith, is what I'm saying. I mean, I'm, this is the original <laughs> story. They hadn't done anything to her at that point. Uh, uh, then we fast forward a bit to ancient Greece. They had precursors to modern vampires, uh, but none of them were considered undead. Um, Wait, are you skipping Judaism? I know one from Judaism, an estri. Estri. That's I... something I learned about a few years ago. There's a, there's like a old Jewish type vampire, vampire type thing that are that are women called estries that I think they maybe like fly with their hair or something when they go and. Well, drink that's interesting blood. because they they do have um, uh, the aluka, uh, mm. literally translated as leech. Uh, that's synonymous with vampirism and. Uh, 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 Motet's dam is literally bloodsucker. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the Jewish diaspora in Europe brought a lot of these stories with them, and they they mixed uh, they mixed with Slavic stuff. And um, I mean, eventually, that's where proto vampires come from. Is this is this mix? Um, but we haven't even left ancient Greece yet. We're kind of skipping forward. Uh, they had uh, the Ampusa. Uh, was the daughter of the goddess Hecate and was described as demonic uh, and bronze-footed. And she feasted on blood by transforming into a young woman and seducing men as they slept uh, so she could drink their blood. Like are you going to seduce someone while they yeah. sleep? Get in there and give Seems them a sexy dream. sexual Yeah. <laughs> like, seduce them and drink their blood while they're awake, please. Consent <laughs> is important. Uh, the Lamia. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, was the daughter of uh, King Belus and a secret lover of Zeus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Zeus's wife, Hera, discovered the infidelity and killed all of Lamia's offspring. As per usual. Yeah. Hera. She swore vengeance, uh, Lamia, swore vengeance and preyed on young children in their beds at night, sucking their blood. Mm. All right. So, more, more uh, Lilith type story there. Uh, the Strigas mm-hmm. uh-huh. feasted on children, <laughs> but also now, now they preyed on adults too. Uh, like equal opportunity blood suckers. Wasn't uh, there something called Striganona? Is that like Striganona. Str- oh, Striganona. Is but that a Strigoi witch? is a... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know where I've heard these. Yeah. Striganona is like a children's book. <laughs> it's like about a grandma, maybe. Okay, well, maybe I thought the book was evil. the Striganomicon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the Strigas were described as having the bodies of crows. Cool. Uh, and they were later incorporated into the Roman mythology as Strix, mm. a nocturnal bird that feeds on human flesh and blood. Uh, so all this stuff is going on, um, uh, e- even in the Odyssey. Uh, vampiric entities are seen, um, uh, the undead are too insubstantial to be heard by the living and can't communicate with them without drinking blood first. 
Wait, that's actually, I never put that together because I was just doing a whole thing. Um, it's in the Aeneid too, that I was just doing a whole project on it. And I never thought about that, that like they have to go drink blood before they can like become right. real enough to- but, but it didn't have to be human. And Odysseus, um, uh, right. he sacrificed a, a black ram and a black ewe so that the shades there could drink its right. blood and communicate. Uh, so it is vampiric vampiritic because it's drinking blood but it's also very reminiscent of the very common have to make a sacrifice right and the ram and the ewe are very valuable to yeah. society at that right. point it's common sacrificial animals yeah, yeah. um but uh, if we go to ancient india um so now we're talking about cultures that that may not have mixed that much this may have been an independent development of the ideas of uh, vampirism the vitalis ghoul-like beings that inhabit corpses. The betal is described as an undead creature who, like the bat associated with modern-day vampirism, hangs upside down on trees Ooh. found on cremation grounds and cemeteries. Ooh, I think people I like have that. thought about that because anytime I'm walking under a bunch of trees at night, I'm totally thinking there's something up there going to drop down on me. So if that ever happened even once, I would for sure tell that story to everyone I know. Always, <laughs> you know? Especially yeah. if you're in a cemetery. <laughs> Uh, so, as we were talking about with the um, the Jewish diaspora, mixing with Slavic folklore, we start having proto-vampires of a type that we might actually recognize as vampires, instead of having to stretch the imagination and say, they drink blood, therefore. Um, uh, so before they actually had that name, uh, there's evidence of vampires in Slavic belief. Uh, in particular, it dates back to the 9th century uh, in terms of history. So it's likely much older than that. And now we are talking about Strigoi. Uh, that's that's where what these were called. Uh, in the 14th century, Serbian legal codes uh, existed to ban what they called vampire burials. Huh. So uh, sometimes before burying an apparently deceased plague victim, the grave diggers would place a stone in the corpse's mouth to prevent future blood sucking, uh, which shows super cool. uh, very effectively that the belief of the vampire was not just extant and old, uh, but it was a problem significant enough that attempts were made to eradicate it, and they codified it in some kind of historical historical document yeah. that we could later find and say by the 14th century, right? This was common uh, in in uh, where did I say this was Serbia in Serbia. Is it going to be antithetical to my goal of being a vampire if I have my whole head removed before I'm buried? Because mm -hmm. I was going to say, don't put the stone in my mouth. I want to be a vampire. Yeah, you can't yeah. come back if you have no head. Shocks. That's We're one of the main have ways. have to mull that over. Yeah. I mean, maybe in Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then during We're the not that far from Sleepy Hollow if that's where you want to be buried. <laughs> I'll think it over. Because then I, yeah, I really it could be a whole headless thing. <laughs> Or nearly headless. Nearly headless, Zoe. <laughs> uh, so during the uh, the Black Plague, the myth of vampirism um, really developed, uh, likely due to superstitions involving burying corpses of sick plague victims who were coughing up blood but had not yet died. Mm. So the, the post-mortem movements and bloody mouth of these uh, cases uh, led people in the country to believe that uh, the undead had been feasting on their neighbor's blood, protecting mm. them from actually dying, mm. uh, kind of preserving them so they could continue to drink. Wow. And that's where these burials came from to help people be at rest. Wow. I was also, are you going to talk about like the teeth or fingernails at all? 
Yeah. Well, then I'll throw that in. I think like your your skin kind of shrivels or recedes and that makes it look like your fingernails are longer. Oh, yes. And like that your teeth are longer than a normal person because the fleshy part's kind of shriveling away from mm. the... And so that's kind of also if you were to go and look at a corpse and be like, what's up with this corpse? Is it a vampire? And then it has like longer l- fingers and right. like the teeth look longer. Yeah, there are fingernails. I mean, that, that hair and fingernails grow after you die. And what you described is... Right, is they don't grow. The other stuff shrinks away from it. Yeah. 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 So uh, now we're talking about the word vampires. These things finally have a name. Uh, and the folklore for the entity we know today as vampire originates almost exclusively from early 18th century southeastern Europe, mm. particularly Transylvania, uh, not because that's where the legends existed, but because Transylvania um, recorded and published in writing the things that uh, were oral tradition before that. Mm. So the writings come from there in much the same way as the, uh, the, the Spanish plague. Uh, right. is the Spanish plague because it was published from right. there. And so people associate vampirism come, with Transylvania. Right. It doesn't, the Spanish plague didn't come from Spain. It's just the, one of the places where they were willing to say that it was happening and talking about right. it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the term vampire was popularized in Western Europe after reports of an 18th century mass hysteria of a pre-existing folk belief in the Balkans and Eastern Europe that in some cases resulted in corpses being staked and people being accused of vampirism. Mm. Uh, in most cases, vampires are revenants of evil beings, suicide victims, or witches, but can also be created by a malevolent spirit possessing a corpse or a living person being bitten by a vampire themselves. Uh, and the culminating point of all these ancient beliefs here in the, uh, in the 18th century uh, uh, was called the Great Vampire Epidemic. Mm. Uh, or, or sometimes referred to just as the vampire epidemic, when people believed vampires were not only real, but suddenly appearing in large numbers for unknown reasons all throughout Eastern Europe. Wow. Yep. Uh, <laughs> That'd be cool if that were true. <laughs> <laughs> After a case in Serbia in 1725, where people believed a vampire had appeared and caused illness, uh, soon another case arose in 1726, and hysteria concerning vampires began to spread throughout Eastern Europe, and even parts of Western Europe. Now, we kind of covered vampire as a word. But what about Nosferatu? Now, Nosferatu translates as bringer of plague. Mm. It's really interesting because the word Nosferatu is based on an incorrect transliteration from Cyrillic of Nesuferit, which itself translates as the insufferable one. So that's they, what they were going for. They made a mistake with the word that now means bringer of plague. Um, Which really works. It does. And, and, and this is well after the connection between plague and vampire existed. Uh, there was plague. It made some symptoms. Then people, people created the legend of vampire to explain those symptoms. So it's like a very happy coincidence that they accidentally translated it to yeah. mean that. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, so it was actually a, a woman travel writer, Emily Girard. Okay. <laughs> in 1888, she wrote *The Land Beyond the Forest*, um, which is a study of the history and culture of Transylvania, uh, and it references uh, the same mistransliteration that it found 20 years earlier in Germany 
which was possibly the source that Gerard used. Uh, I wasn't able to track down like who actually made the mistransliteration and when. Uh, but this book, The Land Beyond the Forest, put that word out there. Now Nosferatu is published uh, for people to read. And Bram Stoker read that book and used the word in Dracula in 1897, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is only nine years later. And so it was a contemporary book that, that he, he took the word from. Um, now I'm going to talk about some diseases that, uh, that, that kind of have, that may be the disease that people thought was vampirism. I do just want to say, I like that Nosferatu isn't a real word. <laughs> right. But then like Bram Stoker picked it out specifically and was like, I like this. And then Murnau must have been like, picked it out from Dracula and was like, well, we can't say, say Dracula. So yep. like it really, <laughs> at any of those steps along the way, it could have been like, well, this is a nonsense word. Let's not use it. But people kept picking it. Yeah. And Murnau was probably like, no, no, no. I didn't get that from Dracula. It was, uh, it was, it was from, from this travel writer. <laughs> Don't you know? It means bringer of plagues. <laughs> um, so I kind of went on a, on a tangent here with uh, trying to find diseases that... Uh, Are like vampirism? Yeah, that, that if you had this disease that people in those times wouldn't have some other explanation for it. They don't have germ theory. They don't, you know, there's a, there's a lot of illiterate, uneducated like farmers, peasants, you know, out in the middle of nowhere that, that, I mean, I don't know, even people in the city probably wouldn't know where these diseases come from. But uh, uh, pellagra was a uh, niacin deficiency, vitamin mm. B3. Um, and areas of the skin exposed to either sunlight or friction get inflamed uh, when you have a niacin deficiency. And over time, the affected skin can become darker, stiffen, peel, or bleed. Uh, so if you spend time in the sun, you know, it's like you have an allergy You're to burning. the sun. Yeah. I, I just remember that time that I uh, had a surgery right before I went to summer camp <laughs> and whatever medicine they put me on, which is also like a medicine for acne, I guess, but to help me from uh, recover from the surgery, they were like, you can't go out in the sun. And I was about to go to summer camp. So I just <laughs> carried like an umbrella around and like yeah. wore really big floppy hats and like huge sunglasses and I don't know what they must have thought. Like, <laughs> Zoe came to school. Wonder, She's a vampire now. I wonder if the issue there, being on that medicine, is that the medicine gives blocked, me a deficiency of yeah. <laughs> if vitamin it blocked B, the niacin and and gave you a temporary maybe so. Uh, but the uh, the Native American cultivators who first domesticated corn uh, prepared it by uh, nishtamalization, where the the grain is treated with a solution, uh, a basic solution of lime. Uh, and nishtamalization makes the niacin nutritionally available uh, and prevents pellagra. When corn was cultivated worldwide uh, and eaten as a staple without nishtamalization, pellagra became pretty common mm-hmm. uh, because it was replacing wheat and, and other things. It was a, now a staple food, but without the secret sauce, without mm-hmm. the uh, making the, the, the niacin right recipe. Available. It's yeah. like scurvy, but for... Uh, a different thing. But that <laughs> probably eliminates it as a culprit in our search for what disease causes vampirism because they had to discover the new world. They had to start trade, introduce, made it became a staple in the 18th century, uh, 
it, it basically pellagra didn't exist until in Europe after until the 18th century after corn was introduced uh so it could have acted as a verifier of vampirism but not a source of okay. the legends um so another one is uh porphyria uh which uh chronic porphyria primarily manifests with skin disease encountered where excess porphyrins accumulate in the skin um I, it, I guess I guess it's too technical for me, but porophins are um, molecules that we don't want to be in our skin. <laughs> um, they're photoactive. Um, and exposure to light results in promotion of electrons to a higher energy level. Um, and when these return to the resting energy level or ground state, energy is released. Um, so heat, yes. It's, it's released as heat, but it's also, uh, there's a property of fluorescence typical laporophins. Hmm. Uh, and it causes local skin damage, but it can also cause glowing after you've been in the sun and now you're inside and they're returning to their base energy level mm. and releasing the energy. Some of it is released as fluorescence. Wait, so Are you for real? Can I do that on purpose and glow? It's a disease. I don't know how you get <laughs> can it. Can I specifically get this <laughs> disease on purpose so that I can glow? So that's like the twilight vampire disease. Yeah. Right. Well, it's... It's been suggested as an explanation for the origin of vampires and werewolves uh, based on certain perceived similarities between the condition and the folklore. Uh, the theory has been rejected by a few folklorists and researchers, researchers as not accurately describing the characteristics of the original werewolf and vampire legends. Right, they didn't glow. Or the disease itself. Um, and they... All, they, they further suggest that it's potentially stigmatizing people with porphyria mm -hmm. uh, because that still exists. Okay. Um, and so the last one on the list, and maybe the most likely, uh, is rabies. Really? Um, uh, it's common source of both vampire and werewolf legends. Uh, you get bitten by an infected animal right. and you literally go feral before literally dying. Literally could be a bat. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, th I think yeah, it seems true. very likely that uh, that it could explain uh, lycanthropy. Yeah. Uh, you get bitten, and I don't know, probably a month later. Why not? Uh, mm -hmm. It takes a while for rabies to fully take effect, but uh, you get bitten, and a while later, you kind of go feral because mm -hmm. you have this disease. So that um, maybe like maybe vampirism as well, but rabies has been around a long time in, in Europe, and so... That's a possibility too. Ah. Peter Parker's like, I got bitten by a radioactive spider. And Nosferatu's like, I got bitten by a bat with rabies. So <laughs> I'm, that's me now. Yeah. Uh, so back to the movie. Um, vampires are usually associated with bats, but in Nosferatu they use rats. And because they want to make this connection the with plagues. the plagues. Yeah. Um, Which felt, felt really like unsettlingly relevant watching it right now sure. and they were like oh this plague is devastating the landscape i'm like uh. yeah <laughs> oh but can i also say there's a part where nosferatu is walking around this town just carrying his whole ass coffin just underneath oh, one arm so funny. and then, you know the coffin is like full of dirt so it's a whole full coffin yeah full of dirt and he's just carrying it under one arm as he walks around the whole it's town like, looking for his apartment not at all look menacing i want to make shot. a gif of he, it's it's, so just, funny. it's really like we'll the make... most common like <laughs> mundane 
ha- he has it under it's like one a purse. arm. It's like this it's his whole purse. Cap- he's just kind of like looking around, just kind of like, uh, where am I supposed like, to go he's with this? Carrying like a bag of groceries home, but he doesn't. Right, and then but he's, he's lost. Like, uh, he's like, I don't know where I am. Where's my house? Well, the groceries are in the coffin. <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny. We're gonna put that out as like a gif. Yeah, we're gonna find it. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, okay, so back to the uh, <laughs> the rats. The focus on rats. It made which... me think about it because when they open up the yeah. coffin, it's just full of rats. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and and rats, you know, carried fleas, which spread bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been more recent studies um, came out very recently about how plagues uh, could have been spread person to person, but there are different different plagues. There's uh, there's uh, a the black infections plague. of oh. the lungs. There's you know the the pneumonic plague. There's uh, bubonic plague, which you absolutely could get uh, from the boils and stuff if you if you touch. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't airborne, uh, and if you're going to get it at a distance, you're going to get it uh, still by touch. But because uh, because of the fleas and because of right. the, okay. uh, the rats carrying the fleas from person to person, uh, it's just different kinds of plagues are spread differently. And this one, very much rats. Um, and you mentioned how Count Orlock's face resembles a rat, and that's not on accident. Um, it, it all ties together, and Murnau knew what he was doing. Murnau knew what he was doing. So between 1918 and 1920, Germany lost almost 300,000 people uh, wow. in the great flu pandemic, uh, the Spanish flu, wow. uh, which killed 50 million worldwide. Uh, and so that happened right after the Great War, and the Germans were put out. <laughs> to say the least. Um, and they the movies, were put out. <laughs> the, the, the contemporary movies of that time reflect that. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, The Golem, Warning Shadows, Tired Death, and Nosferatu. Uh, all yeah, they were going dark. through some stuff. Yeah. Psychologically as a country. And this was... A way to shake that out. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. a population needs to hide from their troubles with uplifting films. Sometimes they need to sink into them and experience it and get through it that way. And that's what the Germans seem to have chosen based on the movies that uh, they got into theaters. Um, uh, and then the scenes where the vampire brings death to a captain and his crew on the right, ship. on the ship. Uh, pilots the ghost ship into the harbor uh, where hundreds of rats mm. scurry off to infect the city is uh, literally from history. Oh. Uh, in 1348, again, this is the year of the big bubonic plague outbreak. In 1348, three ships carrying spices docked at Genoa, Italy, uh, and they were also loaded with rats that scurried down the anchor lines and disappeared into the city. The rats died by the thousands, and then the people began to die. Oh. Um, and that was that was the beginning of the Black Death, mm-hmm. right there. And and probably Murnau knew of that and used the ship and the rats fleeing the ship uh, as a uh, an allegory. Uh, I thought it was interesting in real life. You know, the the story that I've just told uh, shows how plague was interpreted as vampirism and the story of vampire vampires came because people wanted to make sense of the plagues and now it's like in reverse like we're gonna use 
in the movie. You know, vampires is an allegory for the plague. The vampire <laughs> was real. The vampire was killing the people. Right. And they had to make sense of it by blaming it on a plague. And they put right. plague on, on people's doors. They right. marked people's doors and uh, tried to keep it from spreading. Uh, because, I, well, the, like like uh, like you said, Heather, where, uh, where Counterlock came from, they believed in vampires. Right. Right. But then when they got to Bremen, right. they did not believe in vampires. And so they needed a different story and they blamed it on the plague. Right. Wouldn't it be wild if that was like part of the Passover story? It's like you got locusts, you got, you know, uh, frogs, you got vampires <laughs> who come and... Uh, eat, vampires. Eat and drink the blood born. of your firstborn yeah. baby. I thought you were going to say a plague of locusts, a plague of frogs, a plague of plague. <laughs> Basically. I did read a quote that I think it was Albin Grau who also said that the plague it was like, or the vampire and the plague, it's like war. Mm. And it's something that came and just indiscriminately killed all these yeah. people and that war was was just a plague wow. and that was part of what he was working that on was the first world war that anyone mm. had ever seen and plagues are probably one of the things that before that touched a lot of yeah globally not right. just like a skirmish in one area of the world like there is now a plague all right. across europe so i can see how like war would feel like that if it's like the first time like people in so many different countries are dying. Yeah, and across Europe, yeah. uh, the actual active blowing things up and, and shooting things was happening in population centers and not just on some distant battlefield where only the young men were dying. Everybody was dying. Right. Uh, so that's the end of my story. All right. What have you got, Zoe? Oh, you know, I'm just going to talk about... That's okay. You can hype me up. That didn't turn into a chant, though, did it? It felt like it was going to. I'm going to be talking about, you know, no biggie, just the saint of Satan, the great beast, the uh, wickedest man alive. That's right. Let's talk about Aleister Crowley, kids. Um, Whatever, kids. (laughs) Um, kids, go get your kid. Oh, it, listeners, go get your go kids get now. Your kids, so we can <laughs> Bring talk about in. sex magic. We'll talk um, about Aleister Crowley, the Satanist. Yeah, the this saint is of Satan? not actually, but he did yeah. call himself that, but he wasn't really, and he knew he was. He was just a wicked yeah, he man. He wanted to cash in. On, he was it, never actually we'll canonized. He he was not actually into Satanism. He was into occultism. Um, this is a dude so bad and. And I don't just think he's bad because as you're going to learn in the story, like he did a lot of actually really kind of interesting things, but, but he was fundamentally so actually wicked that he, at one point, and we'll get here, but went to Italy, got kicked out of Italy for being such a bad person <laughs> by Benito Mussolini. <laughs> That's the standard that we're talking about here. So for context, um, he's born in 1875. He dies in 1947. So he's living through both world wars. Um, And he is born to some parents who are uh, like evangelical Christian. His dad was originally a Quaker, but both his mom and his dad converted to being the exclusive brethren faction. In England. Right, in England. The exclusive brethren faction of Christian fundamentalist evangelical. Well, that shit's going to make you a crazy uh, well, occultist. Right, a little bit. His dad would read a chapter, like of the Bi- a chapter of the Bible 
to the family every day after breakfast. Like they were in it. He was sent to an evangelical Christian boarding school. Um, I mean, it's kind of a good book. Um, I made a funny face and Zoe flipped me off. You're sorry, wicked. bad manners. Don't let your kids listen. Sorry, he's hoping to get away with that because we're not <laughs> recording video. Um, he after after this Christian boarding school, he was sent to a, a prep school, and he said that uh, Crowley later said that the reverend who ran um, this prep school in Cambridge was like a sadist um, and was Chill. just horrible. Chill. Um, so Crowley already is starting out with like a a basis of like a lot of religion yeah. and yeah. Like, spirituality too much religion maybe really in his life mm-hmm. um and especially i think if your parents like converted to that religion it's not just they were right ra- like they're they chose that and right. they were like really into it um at least his dad did i don't know how much say his mom had he actually liked his dad um or at least after his dad's death which happened when he was 11 when mm. alistair crowley was 11 his dad died of tongue cancer mm. um and crowley was very very shaken cigar by smoker it. Maybe. He he was like, my dad is my hero. He did not share um the same sentiments about his mom. Um, I mean, this is coming from like for sure just a horrible misogynist, so that might have played some role of it uh in it. But he after his dad dies when he's eleven, he inherits a bunch of money. Um and but he also goes a little off the rails. He starts misbehaving a lot at school. Um, he gets sick and he's pulled out of that school and goes to a different college and he hates it and leaves and goes to a different college and he hates it and leaves. Um, and he's the way they describe it is, you know, he was he was smoking, masturbating, <laughs> you know, bad things ah, and um, got gonorrhea from having sex with sex workers. OK, I'm out now. <laughs> well, I know smoking and masturbating was fine. <laughs> Um, I was on board until we got to the. But he also he also was an intellectual. He loved the works of Percy Shelley. He was the president of his chess club, and he almost decided to be a professional chess player. And imagine how different the world would be right now if Aleister Crowley had just stuck to chess. Chess would have become evil. (laughs) Chess would have been way cooler. Chess would have been a lot more fucked up. Um, but he also, and this will come back. This is important. It will come back. He also was very into mountain climbing um, and he like climbed the Alps, um, but that will come back. Uh, he, he did that like every year. Um, he went to Trinity College. So he's kind in of Dublin. this, right, in Dublin. And he wanted to study philosopher philosophy, but he decided to change it to English lit because he was like, I fucking love Percy Shelley. I love, you know, he, he decided he was into it. I Bringing can see up- that you are identifying with this evil man. <laughs> At this point. You know why? Here's my next sentence. Crowley is bisexual, having mm-hmm. relationships with men and right. women. He also gets syphilis from a mm. sex worker. So now ouch. he at least has had gonorrhea and syphilis probably more throughout his lifetime. He's ouch. working on his collection. It doesn't help because then he's having sex with a lot of other people. He probably gave a lot of STDs to people because I don't think Crowley was Not wrapping ch- it up. <laughs> um, not chill. And same-sex relationships were illegal um, in mm-hmm. England in the late 1800s. So he was doing a lot of very taboo things, but he was also like, I like English literature and playing chess and going mountaineering. Um, but He's very he, well-rounded. Yeah. Well, he kind of has a turning point in 1897. Um, he gets really sick and thinks he's going to die. 
Um, but he gets better and he feels like that was like his brush with death. Um, he decides to become a full-time occultist. He's like, I almost died. I just came back. I am really like, I need to get now. a job as a full-time occultist. I never want to die again. <laughs> Who's hiring? That's, that's yeah. on the one end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what exactly full-time occultist means. I think it, it I mean, actually, I know what it means. It's that he, how it is how he got his revenue for a lot of his mm-hmm. life. He was just like, I'm going to become the head of the chapter of this magical institution and you all have to pay me money. Yeah. Um, but and then he goes to Germany. He's like, "You right. guys are I'm ahead of you too." Yeah. Well, he also thought of himself as a poet and a writer. So he his first bunch of uh, poetry collection is called White Stains, and is <laughs> I hear his poetry and writing is really bad. I've also oh, heard that it's quite bad. I mean, let's just talk about his his and it's erotic poetry oh, and it's God. called white stains i'm very upset about this um, zoe it was not allowed to be printed in england so he went and printed it abroad oh yeah everything um, can be printed in germany um like new jersey everything is legal um he decides that he's gonna get into alchemy right um he's like i'm all in uh so he meets this chemist named julian l baker um and this guy's brother-in-law is George Cecil. Okay. I really went right in between. Is it Cecil or Cecil? Because they're both valid and I, I did not commit. Cecil is probably invalid. Cecil. Uh, what uh, they're British. They're British. Cecil. It makes me think it's Cecil. 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 So what we're not going to say again is Cecil. (laughs) Cecil. Um, George C. George C. Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Who, was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which, Woo-hoo. yes. <laughs> well, That's I mean, big time. They're bad. Right. But I mean, they are, they're, you know, that was W.B. Yeats. If you look that into the occult, that's one of the Arthur main Conan ones. Arthur Conan Doyle, arguably Bram Stoker. I would um, argue with that. <laughs> Bram Stoker is often referenced as someone who was in the group, but his name was maybe just on a list of like people that people after, we wish were in the group literally people who have died who we think their ghosts would be in our group that's what they did <laughs> um, but yeah a lot of cool uh poets and writers and stuff were part of this group and maybe bram stoker was right so a lot of people that you've heard of um probably if you like literature mostly um so he's like i'm gonna do this he becomes you know he's initiated into the group he takes the magical name Frater Perdurabo, uh, which he, rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> he interpreted, which I like the way that's phrased, like perhaps it was incorrect, but he interpreted it as I shall endure to the end, which oh, we'll see if he does. I was sure it would have something to do with a brother. Well, it's Frater. probably brother I shall endure to the end. Well, the, the Frater <laughs> right, is, but the par. Parbu. Perdurabo. Because maybe it's like, pers- I don't know. That's the persisting one. I know Latin. I will. Um, I'll pretend it. All right. <laughs> so he, um, okay, so he uh, invited the senior members. Some of these people are going to come back. So you don't have to remember their names. You'll probably remember George Cecil Jones because we made such a big deal about it. But this other dude is named Alan Bennett. He's like, hey, Alan, will you come live with me as a like personal magic tutor? And they're and and Alan Bennett was like, fuck yeah. And so they start doing lots of ritual drugs and uh ritual. I think he might have started getting into sex magic at this point. Um, he was 
there's, you know, it's a fine line. When you're doing magic and you're having a lot of weird sex already, <laughs> it's like at some point they're just it's gonna... It's the same thing, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that became a problem with the Order of the Golden Dawn because he wanted to join their second inner secreter circle. And they were like, um, you're kind of like doing a lot of sex stuff that and also we're not you super have... into. You're bisexual, which is illegal right now. You're like a libertine. And also he had a feud with Yates. Um, I'm not sure what about. Um, probably uh, Aleister Crowley being a dickwad. I'm going to side with Yates. <laughs> yeah. And so they were like, Over we Alistair do not Crowley. want you in the inner circle because you're a, a actual weirdo. Right. And that's coming from a cultist. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the leader of the Golden Dawn um Mathers a guy named Mathers is like no I'm personally initiate I like Crowley even though all the rest of you don't and I'm going to personally initiate him myself if you guys won't do it and the rest of the whole London chapter did not like this their leader Mathers cuz they're like he's authoritarian he's like not leading our group well so there became a, a kind of a schism after he did that he's like no I'm picking Crowley um so Mathers and Crowley split off from the rest of the group, um, but they also try to like sue them. They're like, we want the space that we've been hanging out in. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to say the name of the group. No, they're like, we want the London Lodge. Like, we're going to try to like take this space. And the court is like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> they're the ones who are paying for it. Um, so they, Crowley is kind of out from that group. There's just this guy, Mathers. Um, so Crowley's like, okay, well, fuck, I'm, I'm done being in London for now. That, you know, kind of worked, but I'm gonna just explore the world. He wrote, he was writing poetry and going to Mexico, to Japan, to Hong Kong, uh, to Ceylon, where he met up with his pal, Alan Bennett, who had been his personal magic tutor. And Bennett was like, I'm gonna become a Buddhist monk, which, you know what, probably was better in his life than continuing to hang out with Aleister Crowley. Um... Crowley is like, I'm still into mountaineering. So he was still climbing mountains, but he got like snow blindness. He got influenza. He got malaria. Just from, and so at this point, you know, malaria, influenza, snow blindness, syphilis, gonorrhea. He was not very mess. careful with yeah. his body, perhaps. Yeah. Um, well, he's like, I'm going to be immortal so I can just do all this crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah I think if that were me, I would pursue immortality. <laughs> Yeah. Something that would help with all that. He stuff. he um went to Paris next. Um the snow blindness did not kill him. Um and he Did you have any dates happening? Oh, this is um you know, a before it's like late late 1800 turning okay. into the 1900s. Okay. Thanks. Um so he goes to Paris and he meets Rodin. He meets Rilke. Um, and he meets a painter named Gerard, G sorry, he meets a painter named Gerald Kelly, um, whose sister is going to be in this arranged marriage that she hates. So Aleister Crowley is like, I'll marry you instead. We don't love each other or anything, but I'll marry you so you don't have to be in this arranged marriage. Um, and the, you know, her brother, who is his friend, is like very scandalized. The whole family is like, we don't like you marrying into our family. Um, but it's actually kind of a sweet story because he actually falls in love with her after deciding to marry her not in love. Um, Can I say Aleister Crowley, who he reminds me of? Who? Rasputin. <laughs> 
Well, Rasputin was yeah. also an occultist. Kind yeah. Of, right? And with the with the big D yeah. going around having with sex with everyone. D. I mean, I don't know the and With all of the things that happened to him. And, but also gross. <laughs> right. Well, this, so far, he hasn't done anything too bad, but we're going to get to some nasty shit. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> actually, like, immediately. So. Okay. <laughs> So he he falls in love with her. He's like, I'm writing poetry about you. And they're like, let's go to Cairo and say that we are a prince and princess and we worship Egyptian deities now. So we are a prince and princess, um, which I guess you can you just, just say decide you to do. Um, but Rose, his wife now, becomes like delirious. I don't know, maybe from all the illnesses that they're contracting um, and, and is like, Alistair, the god Horus is waiting for you. The equinox of the gods has come. And he says that on April of 1904, Alistair Crowley supposedly hears a disembodied voice who goes, I am Iwas, the messenger of Horus. Um, There's going to be a new moral law of this eon. And that moral law will be do what thou wilt. Um, You are the prophet. You got to tell this to the world. Kind of is. (laughs) (laughs) um so i mean you know if he there is a definitely a world in which he fucking made made all of this up for money or yeah yeah. but there's also a world in which he you know was on a lot of drugs right and he believed a lot of illnesses and he really thought that you know if his wife's wife was going around being like horace is waiting for you we're in egypt we're trying to worship egyptian deities that he really like did have some kind of vision um and decided to roll with it and he really went hard he's like i'm starting a religion it's oh and i truly was gonna look up how to pronounce this i was like important note look up how to pronounce this cut this out thelema 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 he's like i'm starting a religion it's called thelema and i'm gonna you know proselytize to the world do what thou wilt and i'm gonna live it um, he, uh, he has a daughter with her or, you know, she has a daughter <laughs> with him, um, which is named, and this is one of the bad things that he did. <laughs> oh, here we go. The daughter is named Nuit Ma'athatur Hecate Sappho Jezebel Lilith. <laughs> uh, uh, mostly going by Lilith. <laughs> Crowley. Um, Raven, darkness, dementia, <laughs> Raven way. Yeah, Alistair Crowley could have and would have written My Immortal if he was around now. Um, he's like, he's still, he's, but he's also like, he's like, I'm starting a religion. Um, but also he was really like a, a jack of all trades. He was like, I'm still publishing poetry, but it's bad. Um, so I'm going to like pay a thousand pounds to whoever will write the best essay about my poetry. (laughs) Um, So he got a bunch of people trying. And so like it, but it still, it never sold well. He was like, I'm also gonna still try to be a mountaineer. So he's like, I want to climb Kanchenjunga, which is in the Himalayas, the world's most treacherous mountain. And he gets in this big fight with the mountaineers that are going with him because they're like, you are reckless. You're not climbing this mountain yeah. like with proper safety protocols and like we're with you and we don't want to do it this way. And then some of them die in an a- in an accident. Hmm. Um and he's a jerk. The whole mountaineering community 
is like, fuck you, Alistair Crowley. Mm-hmm. And he is exiled from the first of many communities. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like any community from. he belongs to will probably end up there. <laughs> right. You got kicked out of being a mountaineer, dude. <laughs> um, but He's like, do what thou wilt. They're like, no, we're climbing a treacherous mountain. Do what they will. <laughs> For real. Um, it's not easy to get deported from Nepal. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he gets deported from several countries. Um, he he meets up with uh, Mr. George Cecil Jones um, and does some rituals, and he thinks that he has this samadhi with, or like a, a union with God, and uses a bunch of hashish um, and just a lot of drugs. He's writing more books, the holy books of Thelema. He's like, this is the objective truth. This is what it is. Um, and so he and George Cecil Jones make AA, which is a success, like a spiritual successor to the Golden Dawn is how they like to think of it. It's more like he got kicked out of yeah. <laughs> really being part of the Golden Dawn. So he just made his own similar thing. That's basically their ideas and then his own ideas of Thelema. At some point during this, he meets a guy named Victor Newberg, who becomes his partner for a little while. Um, He's still married, but, you know, do what thou wilt. Um, Mm -hmm. It was also, like, his closest disciple, and they started doing a bunch of sadomasochism. Um, This guy. I'm not into it. And then his daughter, Lilith, dies of typhoid. No. And he blames his wife's alcoholism and divorces her. Do what thou wilt, dude. No, well, he divorces her. And then he goes to Algeria and does some sex magic on a mountain. He does an evocation <laughs> to the demon Charonzon using blood sacrifices. I know we're kind of like going right on. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to dwell on the blood ma- mountaintop blood magic. Yeah, sex, that, that happens. Sex and, sacrifices. And then his I old friend Mathers, who remember like initiated him against the will of the group, and then they got kicked out kind of d- together. But his, Mathers sues him because they're like he's like you're they're just using Golden love Dawn suing stuff. people they for love, stuff. They sued his, I like I feel a like lot of occult a lot suing. of occult. Yeah, it reminds me of Nexium. They just fucking well, they're imagine, imagine it's like you're a lawyer and it's like oh who am I defending today? It's like these fucking occultists are suing each other again <laughs> because Mathers is like you're just using Golden Dawn stuff in the AA magazine. Um, but Crowley wins that time and gets super famous for it. And now a bunch of people want to uh, join AA, and they start doing public Is it performances. Th- just the two letters A. It's just the like, letter like alcoholic <laughs> anonymous. <laughs> not well, not exactly Alcoholics Anonymous. It AA is what it's. That's just the name. It's A dot A dot, okay. and it doesn't stand. I don't think for anything. Um, truly, like. It doesn't stand for anything, as far as I know. And I'm looking at it right now. Huh. Um, yeah, weird. Yep. I, it maybe stands for Ar- Argentium Astrum, uh, which means silver star. But yeah. they were like, that's not necessarily actually what it is. A lot of people are like guessing what it could stand for. Right. Um, okay. All these clubs have their secrets, and that's probably... You, you have yeah. To, you have to get high level in the club to be like... It's just why they keep saying... A. He, he started A, and I'm like, wow. Well, he finally now is he actually- He got himself together. Yeah. <laughs> Not, Not his wife, though. Oh. Well, he's finally kind of picking up traction. Like, now he's actually getting famous. People want to join his religion, finally. They start doing these public performances of magic where everyone who comes, like, drinks peyote, and they're like, oh, my God, you're doing magic. The rites of Artemis. Um, And he was really into being perceived as a Satanist, 
or like I do human sacrifice, but he actually didn't worship Satan and he never did human sacrifice. He was just really into the image, this sort of, um, well, to, to use a quote from Gillian Tyndall's A Handbook on Witches, he was into the romantic concept of diabolism, mm-hmm. um, but wasn't actually into worshiping Satan. Yeah. Um, the sexy concept of it, but not right. the real concept of it. So he's really gaining traction in occult circles now because he won that court case against the Golden Dawn. So he joins another order. He's a, a the Templi Orientis. He's appointed the head of the whole British branch. He's called the Mysteria Mystica Maxima, and he calls himself Baphomet. Oh, sure, 3M. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 3M. Triple M. <laughs> what if 3M? <laughs> um, he decides, he's like, oh, I just joined your group, and you immediately promoted me. Great, we're doing Thelema here now. Also, we're doing sex magic, but only 11th level, 11th level members get to do. I thought you were going to say, we only do 11th level sex magic. <laughs> well, it is like a lot of like anal sex magic oh. that he's like, you only get to do if you're very um, high level. So And he gets to choose who's high I level, probably, I guess. He's still really into Victor Newberg, and they okay. go together to Paris. See, this is just a crazy, everything that happens. I'm like, I can't really leave any of this out because it's all bad shit crazy they go to paris to do something called paris working um which you know paris working or working paris um he does six weeks of drugs and sex magic with each other and a journalist (laughs) Um, wow but then after that victor newberg is like i'm not really into you anymore and so crowley curses him oh i don't know what the curse is, but he's like, I curse you. <laughs> I, like, I'm an occultist and I'm cursing you because you're breaking up with me. What a drama queen. And then, very much, you know, he just did this whole like crazy vacation and now Six he's out weeks of money. Drug vacation. Um, now he's like, great, I have no money now. So, um, AA and TO. Um, I'm the head of your groups. G- please give me donations. Um, that's what he means by being a full time occultist. He's like, I'm just kind of getting donations from these groups that decided to make me their head. Um, so he's like, I'm going to go to New York. Here's the part where it's a Bond movie suddenly. <laughs> um, oh, right. The First World War. <laughs> the what? You know, the First World War. <laughs> Um, it starts. You're having to say so many words. So Some many of them are going to get so messed up. I'm so excited that I'm talking so fast. And that's why I called it the Great War, because it's so difficult World to War say War World One. War One. Yeah. Well, www starts. www.worldwaron. <laughs> 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 I forgot the one doesn't start with it. Yeah, it doesn't start Okay, with why don't you start over? <laughs> Not w- all the way back. W-O. So, <laughs> so Alistair Crowley's born in... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So the First World War starts, um, and Crowley's in New York, and he says to everyone, basically, you know, anyone who asks, um, I actually have Irish ancestry, um, so I kind of, like, hate England because they're not nice to the Irish peoples, so I support Germany in this war. Oh, uh, nice. Because I hate England because I'm Irish. And he mm-hmm. always talked with rising terminals. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so these German... Like Germany's spy group, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever the Germany spy group that's hanging um, out in New York, yeah, yeah, actually, yes, employs him and goes, Hey, you should write for our propagandist paper to try to make sure the U.S. doesn't get involved in the war because we don't want the U.S. in this war. So, you know, since you hate England so much, work for us and write for us. 
But actually, he was not actually doing... He was actually a double agent working for the British <laughs> intelligence services wild. to specifically undermine the Germany's operation by writing stuff that... <laughs> U.S. people would actually get mad about, and mm -hmm. that would make Germany look stupid without them knowing. Um, and that's which awesome. I think is crazy. He he just like intentionally did a bad job, and would like relate, like make <laughs> allegories comparing Germany to things that Germany thought were good, but he knew Americans would actually dislike. Uh -huh. um, and so okay, he was clever. actually like employed by the British government. I think that is wild. The best thing yeah. he ever did yeah, in his life. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's really downhill from there. So oh. once he's done doing that, he decides to get in a throuple um, with Leah Hersig and Nanette Shumway. At this point, you're not shocking me. No, they have kids. It's mm -hmm. these two women with kids and they all move to a villa in Sicily and just start like a commune. And they're like, we just wear robes now and we do rituals to raw. Um, but this this is actually once you get a certain age, robes just feel good. Yeah, they but this do. part it's is like very movies. upsetting. They move to this villa, and there's kids with mm -hmm. them there. But he is it starts getting really addicted to heroin. Mm. Um, so he's just on heroin all the time. That's the kids are there watching them do sex magic. No, which I don't is like just that. Having sex in front of their kids. <laughs> I don't like that um, at all. There are wild dogs and cats wandering everywhere. Everything is dirty. Nobody's cleaning up because oh. they're saying do what thou wilt, and they're like, well, none of us want to clean. So right. it's just disgusting. And there's kids growing I up. I hate in there. this story too. It's this is where I started to get really like yeah, I'm not into it, it anymore. It's like Bond movie, and now it's like Nexium. Um, I don't like it. But so they, they like had some. Hey, I like them. <laughs> there's this this guy. Who they weren't comes, doing drugs. They, well, <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> they were just dealing with mental illness. That's true. Um, they weren't having sex in front of their children. No. <laughs> this, but they did is have the raccoons. Worst part is that there's this guy who came here with his wife. Her name is Betty May and she got out to tell the story. So she reported on some things that happened there uh. in this weird like villa magic commune, which one member was made to drink the blood of a sacrificed cat. Ooh, gross. Ooh. Um, the also don't, don't know, sacrifice like, trigger cats. warning or something. They had to cut themselves with razors uh. every time they said the pronoun I. Yeah, this is going they, off the fucking rails. They, they all were drinking from a local polluted stream. And so Betty May's husband dies of a liver infection oh from boy. just drinking. So she This gets is making the me feel like Darwinism, you like know? Like horrible. Uh, she. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe at a certain point, if you have snow blindness and malaria, and you're just and then you're just on heroin drinking, still think it's a good idea to drink surface water. Well, so she gets out and she tells the press, and she's the one who calls him the wickedest man in the world, which now has like a darker sense for me because it's like imagine like going through and seeing your husband do all that and like seeing that happen with like kids around, mm -hmm. and that's when Benito Mussolini kicks him out okay, of Italy. Good idea. Which like, yeah. Good idea. Like, that was a good, good choice. choice Mussolini. Yeah. yeah, get them out. Um, he gets next deported from France because he was having a lot of uh, experimentations in sex magic. He was on heroin. He was on cocaine. He was just ha like doing this shit. Yeah. Gets deported from France, which like, like how, that's how the, debauched the most... do you have to be <laughs> to get deported from France? Yeah, yeah. Um, he fakes his own death. Uh, <laughs> at, but not for very do. long. He's so he's going to have this um art exhibit because he decides he's an artist, right? 
um, opening in Berlin. And so three weeks before it, he fakes his own death at the Boca di Inferno rock formation. Hmm. Um, and then he just reappears at the uh, <laughs> opening of his art exhibit. He's like, I'm alive. Pulling a Tom Sawyer. For real. Um <laughs> He sues a bunch of people who he says libeled him and it cost him like a ton of money and he won some They're of like, them. They're like, I'm sorry, you were dead. <laughs> right. And so then World War II is ramping up and he is like, Hitler might be cool. He seems like the kind of guy that would maybe get in on Thelema. But then Hitler abolishes- the Hitler allies with Mussolini. Well, but and get, Hitler- And doesn't like magic. Hitler- in Germany, abolishes the German chapter yeah. of um, the OTO, which is the one that he's like the triple M <laughs> leader of in England. And so Crowley is like, actually, I hate you. You're a black magician. You know, you should go die. And he tries to help the war effort. But England is like, we don't actually want you. Like, it's you've been a while and you're too much for us now. He wrote some books to try to help. He was like, very anti-Hitler, so that's good. There's a legend that I don't know if it's substantiated or not that he went to Winston Churchill and said, like, I have magic that can help you win the war, and Churchill refused him. <laughs> um, uh, but he um, ended up, I mean, just a lot of illnesses. He had asthma, and Germany was what was producing the medicine to help with his asthma, so he could mm. no longer get it. Oh, no. Um, and mm. so in 1947, Alistair Crowley dies of chronic bronchitis aggravated by pleurisy and myocardial degeneration. Oh, he yeah. probably, I mean, I think he had a lot of illnesses from his mm -hmm. lifestyle. Um but he had a he had a small funeral, but they um, read from the Gnostic Mass, which was labeled as a black mass by the tabloids, which is like a parody of Christian rites, uh, where you know it's it's you do like an upside mass, down cross, right? Yeah, you um, take a the communion wafer out of your mouth. <laughs> no, that's um, and Sorry. spit out wine. <laughs> According to one of my references, just to tie it all back together, I did not see this in a ton of places, but according to the Occult Chambers Compact reference book, um, Crowley did at some point say that he was a vampire. Um, so, ties it all together, <laughs> occultism. I mean, he did like drink cat blood and shit, so I think he did enough bad well, things. Well, he's like <laughs> one of the most famous occultists and it ties yes. it into yeah. the themes of uh, Nosferatu. And I mean, but what I, a life. I, I mean, it's quite a life. Kicked out of it's Italy, too kicked much. out of France, kicked out of, you know, too working for the English intelligence services, yeah. kicked out of mountaineering. Maybe there's a, such a thing as like too much life. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bisexual, you know, erstwhile occultist, but I really more of an occult scholar. Yeah. Um, I really don't claim him. No. As like <laughs> as like a cool guy, um, I mean maybe if his parents hadn't been, uh, I don't know, this weird exclusive brethren fundamentalist, maybe it was all a reaction to his youth, or maybe he just had a lot of issues. I mean, he's he is definitely an interesting character, for sure. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> and well, that is my story. Thank you. Um, I'll bring it back into my story is my guy, Alvin Grau, after Nosferatu, he went to this conference and he was like one of the masters in his group, Pan Sophia, and his 
the leader of Pan Sophia um, did not like Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley shows he up. He does. <laughs> he shows up and he's like, you should all be into Thelema. And, yeah, as he did. And uh, I think his name was Tanker, but I could be wrong. So I'm just going to say the mm-hmm. leader of Pan Sophia um, was like, no, we're not going to. And it broke up the whole their whole group, the Pan Sophia group. And some of them followed Aleister Crowley and Thelema and some of them started a new group. And Album Growl was like, I'm going to be in, I'm not joining you, Aleister Crowley. Probably for the best. And then Hitler was like, I'm kicking your <laughs> right. whole group out. And yeah. so Album Growl went to Switzerland until after the Nazis. And then he came back to Germany. It's all, it's all there. I think this and our last episode about um, the Ghostbusters stuff even were, are very connected and yeah. connect back to the Frankenstein yeah. because yeah, definitely. this is, you know, a lot of because Polidori Paul wrote the first vampire thing that was based on Lord Byron. Crowley loved Shelley. There's a yeah. lot of the romantics are really wrapped up in because it's this whole in kind the of gothic, gothic horror. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was great. And now the movie, Nosferatu, do you guys recommend? Oh, absolutely. And oh, I yeah. also recommend the Werner Herzog version. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, I need to see that. I really yeah. did feel like you saw it, but I guess, where were you? I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Was it really boring and maybe I slept through it? Maybe. No, it was, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it was boring. I didn't find it boring, but you do fall asleep very easily. He does. I do. <laughs> it's, it's one of my talents. So, Zoe, are you going to have a song for us? I am. Um, I have a little song about how it's sad and hard to be a vampire and they just want love. They just need a hug. Yeah, I would and some I blood. would hug Count Orlock so hard. I would hug that baby. What a baby. Also <laughs> little rat baby. <laughs> if you are a fan of the great uh classic show SpongeBob, the- oh. there's an episode with Nosferatu in it. Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, the hash-slinging slasher game? Yeah, they, 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 he's flicking <laughs> the lights It literally oh, has Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't want to watch the film, you can just watch that episode of um, SpongeBob. But you should watch the film. <laughs> In lieu of the film. <laughs> like Film Fam, inspired by true events, subscribe to hear more stories that inspired our favorite films. For photos and links from the show and other shenanigans, follow us on Instagram at filmfampodcast, on Twitter at filmfam underscore podcast, or on Facebook at filmfam inspired by true events. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or films whose inspiration you'd like us to explore, you can email us at filmfampodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye.
try to blush Haven't tasted blood in a cold year Things slip, what's the rush? Can't we not live happily here? Feeling rotten and forgotten Like a love lost creep Looking for a little spot of stillness Plagued minds went to bed Can't help thinking that I I came back wrong Day finds all my friends They hang out and I I stumble along Such a liar say I'm tired When I never sleep Looking for a little spot of stillness And then there's you Self behind closed doors We're so hungry wanting more So hungry wanting more It's to breathe. We don't have to breathe.